Community Matters Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss issues important to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. My name is Tony Campisi, Executive Director of the Keystone Chapter of Community Associations Institute. Before we get to today's episode, here's a quick word from our sponsor, Hoffman Law, LLC. I'm Ed Hoffman with Hoffman Law, LLC. Hoffman Law, LLC is a recognized leader in community association law. We're known for our responsiveness, legal acumen, leadership in the association industry, and our unwavering focus and commitment to education. You can learn more about us at our website, hoffmanhoalaw.com. Hoffman Law, LLC is proud to sponsor this episode of the Community Matters Podcast. There's been a lot of talk in the media and elsewhere these last few years about the mental health crisis that is affecting the nation. The pandemic, with its isolation and uncertainty, has certainly taken a toll, along with rising rates of violent crime, racial and political unrest, and the loss of faith in institutions. Community associations are not immune to these challenges. We'll be exploring these issues in today's episode of Community Matters Podcast. My guests for this episode are Ryan Skimmins and Bree Jennings with BR Training and Education, a Philadelphia-based company that offers crisis training and policy consulting, mental health education, executive coaching, and more. Ryan and Bree, welcome to Community Matters Podcast, and please tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves and your company. Sure, and thank you so much for inviting us today. We are very glad to be here. So BR Training and Education is based in Philadelphia. We are a small business, but we are mighty. Uh, We provide training opportunities about mental health, uh, like conflict resolution, uh, how to incorporate wellness into your company, uh, and helping develop any kind of procedures or resources for connecting folks to the services that they need. Uh, we also do some coaching for folks, some professional coaching. Uh, we do it for individuals and groups of people and organizations. And uh, probably one of the funnest things we do is we develop content. We develop content for training, for e-learning, for webinars, and all of that good stuff. Uh, Ryan and I have done all sorts of behavioral health and all sorts of training over the course of many, many years. We both started out as behavioral health professionals with case management services. Uh, We've been directors and supervisors and uh, therapists. We've we've done the full nine. And then we decided to start doing training and coaching for folks. So we've, we've been in the thick of it for a little bit. That's great. Um, let me ask you, why did you get involved in this work? So Bree mentioned that we, we've we been doing this for a long time. Uh, we kind of have worked in the behavioral health field for a long, long time doing therapy and, and all kinds of mental health training and education there. And then as, as we kind of started expanding within that realm, we we started wanting to have a, a larger impact on, on how people engage with mental health across different settings. So we started to see kind of in, in talking with other organizations that there was a real space that was needed for folks to address mental health and, and kind of how that plays a part in the way that their organizations run or uh, residents uh, exist in the kind of communities that uh, folks were, you know, that, that folks live in. 
So we worked in some difficult spots where mental health wasn't really prioritized or folks didn't know how to encourage it. And we, we started wanting to create environments where that wasn't the case. So that's kind of how we started uh, branching out from just doing straight up mental health like training and education or therapy into kind of trying to bring that into some non-mental health settings and in like larger uh, organizations in the community where that might not have existed before. This isn't a topic that um, CAI or our members have traditionally addressed or even had the need to address. So how did you become involved with CAI Keystone and community associations in general? So uh, we actually have been working with Mark Levinson at the Philadelphians since uh, early in 2022. Uh, we were helping them work on crisis training, addressing mental health and wellness, and connecting folks to the services that they might need. Uh, their staff is absolutely amazing. So it's been a pleasure working with them. But in working with them, they, they kind of introduced us to this larger CAI Keystone. Uh, and we've been having a great time kind of sliding in where we can, talking to folks and really getting connected with folks. Yeah, it's a fantastic organization. We um we initially, uh, like Bree mentioned, we're working with Mark at the Philadelphian, and that kind of happened very incidentally. We were contacted by a mutual uh, uh, a, a person that we all knew um, who was on the board um, that was looking for some mental health education for the staff because there were some issues with residents who uh, were struggling with different challenges, dementia, um, some depression, anxiety, that type of thing. And then we were brought in there. And, and our integration into CAI Keystone kind of came through um, Tom Willis at Association Bridge. We, we worked with him a little bit over at the Philadelphian and he, um, very gracious with his time, talked to us a little bit about the benefits of of joining and becoming involved in the in the larger organization. And it's been great. We're really happy to be a part of it so far. Um, so for those of you uh, listening, uh, the Philadelphian is a high-rise condo in Center City, Philadelphia. Longtime members of CAI, Mark Levinson is the general manager there. Ryan and Bree will be presenting, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but a program for CAI um, on this topic, but let's get back to the topic. What exactly is a mental health challenge? We, we hear this a lot, but, but many of us probably don't really understand what it means. When we talk about mental health challenges, it can really be any behavior, thought, or set of emotions that can impact the way a person lives in their life. And we we kind of, when we think about mental health, we we imagine it's this big um, daunting thing that a lot of people don't really know how to approach, but it, it can really be anything as simple as, you know, not to diminish the experience, but uh, some anxiety that you're feeling in the day or some depression. Uh, it can be as something as big as substance use or addiction or even experiences of trauma. But there's so many different things that can kind of encompass a mental health challenge that we sometimes don't realize how much of an impact it can have in our lives. Not everything uh, is a mental health diagnosis. You know, people can just have a problem. People can just be sad. But sometimes people are experiencing this over longer periods of time, and that can really start to present larger issues and, and impact the way that people uh, talk to each other or people come to work or people have conversations in the hallway. Really anything um, can be en encompassed in a mental health challenge. Are there common misconceptions about mental health? 
Sure, there are a lot of them, right? So first and foremost is that mental health challenges happen in a vacuum. No, we're, we're all dynamic folks and everybody can have a challenge with mental health. Uh, and that can happen at work, that can happen at school, it can happen in mental health institutions, it can happen pretty much anywhere. Mental health is throughout somebody's life. Others are that uh, folks with mental health diagnoses are automatically thought of as dangerous or violent, and that's not necessarily true. Although there are some situations where some very specific people may become violent uh, or may become aggressive, that's not true of all mental health uh, experiences that people have. We also kind of make assumptions that folks with mental health disorders can't recover. That's not necessarily true. There are some folks who are able to kind of cope with and uh, really deal with whatever the challenge is that they're experiencing, and they're able to move forward with their lives. There are some people who will hang on to it for the rest of their lives, but it will be manageable. And then finally, that everyone who's experiencing a mental health challenge uh, doesn't necessarily meet the criteria for a diagnosis. We often think that, oh, because someone is sad, that means that they meet the criteria for depression. Not necessarily. There are a lot of folks who don't meet criteria for, uh, you know, diagnostic level mental health diagnoses. Some folks are just having hard days or having personal experiences that may be very difficult for them to manage, and they just don't yet have the skills to be able to cope with and address these issues as they come up. How common are mental health challenges? And, and I ask this question, you know, we're here at the, the end of the third year of a pandemic we've been through, and I mentioned some of this in, in the introduction, we've been through tremendous upheaval worldwide because of the global health challenge, the uh, political unrest in the United States, um, rising crime. So, Again, how common is it? And is it more common today than it was, say, three years ago, four years ago? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, by most estimates that uh, are out there, about one in five adults in the U.S. has a mental health diagnosis. So that's that translates to about 52.9 million people. And that estimate is probably on the low side because that relies on people kind of reporting or receiving care for it. But there's probably plenty of other folks, um, some research has indicated that are just kind of walking around and have mental health challenges that don't say anything about it or, or they kind of go untreated. So um, and to answer the other part of your question, yeah, the, the numbers are in general higher than they were a few years ago. Um, some of the data lags behind, so we don't quite have all of the numbers from during the pandemic. But we know that certain things, certain mental health challenges rose during the pandemic as opposed to before. So things like anxiety, even things like domestic abuse and some other, you know, uh, some other numbers around different mental health challenges that were more um, uh, increased because people were inside so much. So, so some of those numbers have gone up. Some of it is also that people are just kind of looking for more, um, people are more sensitive to the fact that there's mental health challenges and people are kind of looking uh, for screening and looking to have their issues treated a little bit more. So that makes some of the numbers go up higher as well. But there's lots of folks who are managing mental health challenges that might be experiencing it with or without therapy, uh, getting things like personal coaching, medication, any holistic practices or coping skills. You know, there's there's folks walking around with these issues that may or may not be actually receiving care for it. 
Um, and if you think about the number that we're talking about, 52.9 million folks last year, think about how many of those people are going to work and, and trying to exist in a work setting or living in a residence and kind of being expected to be um, on their best behavior all the time or good good neighbors or good employees or good supervisors. There's mental health challenges go with you everywhere. It's not just like Bree said in a vacuum where, you know, I, I deal with this at home, I deal with this in therapy. And then beyond that, I'm 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 not dealing with it anymore. So it's it's very common. And I think we're gonna see a lot of numbers keep increasing, um, for better or worse, because the good news is that means that more people are being treated, but the bad news is that that means there are more people kind of struggling right now. So that's a good lead into the next question here. Um, you know, 53 million people, they all live somewhere. Many of them live in a community association. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time at home, probably more so these days than two, three years ago because of the situation we're all in right now. Um, so we probably interact a lot more with our neighbors and, and people who run our, run these community associations. What's the one thing that all community association managers and board members should know about mental health? I think Ryan already kind of touched on it. So it's it's that mental health does not happen in a vacuum. You know, folks, again, experience mental health challenges at home, at work, uh, in passing folks on the streets, daily activities, honestly, anywhere that you come into contact with people. And when we think about mental health, mental health itself is super important to the overall well-being of everyone that we come into contact with, uh, including ourselves. Um, there's tons of studies. Uh, you can go down a whole lot of, about, about how deeply impactful your mental health is on job satisfaction, on productivity. So, you know, as board members and managers thinking about how, you know, are my staff members taking care of? Is their mental health uh, being prioritized? Because in that case, not only is it good for the folks who provide services to others, but it's also good for from a business perspective, because folks who feel mentally well tend to do a little better with their jobs. They, they've got more time, they've got more energy, they can put more into a job. Uh, you you kind of see this balance between mental health and the ability to do your job really well. So, you know, if we take care of folks' mental health and help them feel safe in all of these work environments, uh, then they tend to enjoy their jobs more and they'll complete their their tasks. So not every community association has staff, but many of them do. You mentioned the Philadelphian. Uh, we've got a lot of high-rise communities. We have a lot of large-scale communities in different parts of our listening uh, area. How can community association managers help their staff when they have experienced someone who's in a crisis, a mental health crisis? Yeah, so I think, I think the first thing that you can really think about is you don't need to be a social worker. You don't need to be a therapist. You don't need to be a psychologist to help address some of these issues. And I know that can seem kind of daunting. And that's usually one of the focuses that we take when we're doing training is, look, this is this is accessible for everybody. So whether you're a manager of a community that has staff or, or even not, and you're maybe trying to be helpful with your residents, you can make some time to check in with folks on a regular basis. When people are really struggling, uh, they don't always go out of their way to ask for help. That's just the way we are. We don't kind of 
want to make a bother of ourselves or anything like that. So you going and making some time to check in on folks can be very helpful. It might help people feel taken care of if there's a crisis situation, especially, and you're kind of following up after that. Remember, if there's a crisis, whatever that is, uh, I mean, we've we've seen the worst of the worst in terms of gun violence, in terms of uh, just really anything that can happen. It can be something smaller than that, too. It can be um, somebody experiencing a loss or some kind of uh, more personal trauma. But following up from that, it can be really helpful because folks are traumatized, especially when their safety is called into question. So instead of focusing solely on like what could have been done differently in a crisis next time, I know we spend a lot of time on that, providing some positive feedback for people too about what was done well and checking in about how they're feeling following a crisis is important too. We're big proponents of debriefing after a situation, whether it was handled well or whether it was handled, it could have been handled better. I think coming together as a group after, whether that's the the community members or the staff or whatever team that you're kind of talking about or or a group of folks you're talking about, kind of coming together and talking about that can be really helpful uh, for providing space for folks. Doesn't have to be long either. It can be five to 10 minutes just to check in, make sure everybody's cool, stretch if you need to, get a cup of coffee, talk, think about how important it is after something like really bad happens with us even if like our car breaks down or something we need to just kind of vent and talk about it after something as big as a crisis it's really important to to just help people cope with a difficult situation ryan is that something that you think needs to be moderated for example let's say there's a catastrophic event that happens in a community association a natural disaster maybe there's fatalities and the remaining, you know, the homeowners want to get together and 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 talk about that. Is that something that is best done with a facilitator like yourselves? Or is that just an, an open discussion the community can have on their own? What what's your what's your thoughts on that? I, I think it I think it could happen both ways potentially, but I think that for the most part, if there's a really big thing, uh, it is important to have somebody that's a trained professional kind of moderate some of that too, whether that's even, I mean, you see in schools after there's a really uh, serious situation, counselors will kind of come in and talk with teachers and, and students potentially too. something similar. If it's a really serious situation, I, I think should happen. Um, whether that's, you know, trained counselors, whether that's somebody who comes in and does kind of a, something like we do in terms of like workshops around trauma or, or crisis management, um, providing space for folks and kind of moderating that, I think is important. That's not to say that people can't kind of have peer-led groups too, because I think there's value in that, uh, just people kind of talking amongst themselves. But sometimes the problem gets so big that people need guidance and people need to know kind of how to talk about the issue. So yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I, think, I, I think it would kind of vary depending on the situation, but I think both can work together really well. So how do we make mental health a priority, whether it's in our work environment or here we're talking about community associations? What's your advice there? We can do some larger things or we can do some smaller things that have big impact. So first and foremost, you could include it in your policies. 
uh, a lot of organizations are starting to move towards adding into their policies, uh, mental health breaks, being able to have a space uh, in their place of work where they're able to kind of go by themselves and cope with whatever's going on. Uh, you can include resources and hang them all around organizations so folks know where to call, what they can get connected to. If you have an employee assistance program, make that common knowledge for everybody. A lot of employees don't even know what the EAP is or how to contact it or what their benefits are related to that. And that could be a great resource for folks to have. Uh, you can also have flyers kind of floating around with tips for mental health. Uh, even things as simple as what is anxiety and kind of going through you know, some of the symptoms of anxiety and maybe some coping skills to do with that. And, and we see a lot of times in organizations that just being able to have these things up makes the information A, more available, and B, helps the staff feel like they're truly cared for and like managers and board members are really into the health and wellness of the folks who are doing the work, right? I, I think if I could add one thing too, I think it's really important for some of this to be able to be accessed anonymously too. A lot of times what we see is that people um, are not comfortable coming to management and talking about these things or even going to HR and talking about these things. And, and, and that's understandable because there's stigma around mental health. There's this idea that if I reveal that I'm dealing with this problem, uh, it is going to impact my standing at the job or people are going to think differently of me or, you know, whatever, whatever that thought process is for folks. So by providing some anonymous or like third party uh, access to mental health care, which is one of the things that we do, you know, we, we kind of will step in almost as an employee assistance program and, and, and allow our services to be, Hey, here's our phone number. You can call us. We won't report that back to anybody in terms of specifics, unless there's a safety concern, but we can help you access some some treatment uh, if you need to. Um, but that, you know, setting things up in that way, having some kind of anonymous access, I think is really important too, so that people don't feel uh, like they're being judged or being, uh, you know, thought of differently because they're accessing some of these things, because there's, there's a ton of stigma around mental health. So where can members of CAI find more information and some resources that may help them address whatever kind of mental health challenges they may have in their communities? So there's there's some national uh, resources and we're, as Bree mentioned, we're from Philly. So there are some local ones here for any, any folks who are in the area. There's something like Healthy Minds Philly, which is uh, includes screeners for depression and anxiety some um, like personal things that you can do. Psychology Today also has a ton of uh, resources to help you locate a therapist. There's articles on bringing wellness into the workplace. There's articles on all kinds of things that are pretty helpful in terms of kind of, uh, and there's tools for like figuring out anxiety problems and symptoms and things like that that can be helpful too. There's apps that folks use. I personally love using the Headspace app. There's things like Calm, Mindful that can help people address some mental health concerns on their own and, and help them understand how to recognize signs and symptoms. There's also very recently uh, in the past few months, 988 has been rolled out as, an, as a national crisis intervention hotline. 
that's a super useful tool. Uh, it's the equivalent of 911 for mental health emergencies. It, 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 mostly, I think it's being used right now for suicide prevention, but it can really be for any crisis intervention. And what they do is you dial it anywhere or you can text them and they will connect you with local uh, specialists too. So you can use that anywhere and it's a really helpful tool. And then finally, you can visit us at our website, uh, www.brtrainingandeducation.com. And we uh, we have all kinds of signage and training that we can make available to you as well. Uh, if you're trying to kind of bring this message into your workplace a little bit more, into your community, uh, we can also help you find some local uh, resources if needed too. So and and we also recommend becoming familiar with what's available in your immediate community so that you can um so that you can know which resources are available regularly to refer to people or to make available to folks. It's not easy always to access mental health treatment and that's important to talk about too. Sometimes there's wait lists, sometimes uh there's costs associated that people can't really deal with, but there's ways of getting around that. There's you know, there's ways to navigate insurance. There's other low cost options. There's sliding scale options that are available for folks too. So uh, those are some of the things that we can help people navigate as well if they're trying to find treatment. So those are those are just some general ones. Love 988 though. I think that's an important one for everybody to be aware of. Well, thank you both for joining me today for this episode of Community Matters podcast to discuss this important topic. And for our listeners, Learn more about these important topics at CAI's annual State of the Industry Breakfast coming up on January 24th, 2023 at the Union League of Philadelphia. Learn more on our website at www.caikeystone.org. We hope to see you there. For more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.caikeystone.org. Thanks for listening.